Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, Swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. <coughs> Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. It was a wonderful opportunity, though, to pause and to look, stop, to think, to observe. And that was actually a real gift of COVID for me as a business owner and a brand owner. And so I made that decision very quickly that this was going to be about moving forward, not trying to hold on or go back. There's not summer, winter, spring, autumn. There's just things that you want to buy right now. 
Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF Podcast. It's Friday, July 2nd. When the COVID-19 crisis struck, Karen Walker, known for her designs that have been worn by the likes of Meghan Markle and Michelle Obama, and carried by retailers such as Barney's and Harvey Nichols, found that she was propelled to shift the way she thought about her business, her mission as a designer, and her community. Walker's home country of New Zealand battled the COVID-19 pandemic with a swift hand. Its citizens only saw five weeks of lockdowns before the virus disappeared from within its borders. And despite the relative brevity of the country's lockdowns, business owners and brands were still faced with the same existential crises and questions as the rest of the world. Now that the people within the country have returned to something close to normal life, just without all the tourists, Walker notes several shifts in attitude. People want to treat themselves, she says, but they also want to support the nation and local businesses that supported them. Generally, consumers have come out of lockdowns more interested in buying products aligned with what they stand for. On this week's BOF podcast, Karen Walker joins Tim Blanks in a conversation about dealing with change, defining desire, and life on the other side of the COVID-19 crisis. Here's Karen Walker, Inside Fashion. Now, Karen, obviously, from our perspective, it's been fascinating to see how New Zealand has weathered this pandemic storm that has decimated the rest of the world. And obviously, New Zealand has been held up as a kind of paradigm of good practice. Mm. And uh, we were just really curious to know what it has been like for you as New Zealand's most successful designer and the most internationally known. And you have a very strong retail presence in New Zealand and all the things that have been hard for fashion designers to deal with over the last 15 or so months. You have been in this bubble. And it's been so interesting that there could be such extremes that one country to all intents and purposes has continued to function perfectly well with all its businesses intact and socializing and the life that makes New Zealand so so alluring. You know, we are literally just coming out of a six month, all restaurants closed, all shops closed, Mm. you know, businesses decimated. And Mm. so it's fascinating that there could be such dichotomy. Mm. And mm. so I thought that you'd be the right person to talk to about. Yeah, so it's kind of like a, a, a fork in the road, isn't it? That at one point we were all at the same in the same position, and one community or country had a slightly different set of things going on and slightly different decisions made, and and it just sends you off in completely different places, and very quickly you end up <laughs> at polar opposites. Yeah, our our COVID has been very very different to the UK's and to much of the world's. We we did have yeah you know, we had a five week moment which I know to listeners in the UK and other countries would think is just a walk in the park, and it is yeah five weeks was was totally fine. That doesn't mean that there weren't tears and there wasn't a sense of could this be an existential crisis because nobody knew it was only going to be five weeks. And there were certainly moments where, as a business owner and a brand, I had to ask you know the face of being an independent designer an independently owned company, if this goes on for six months or a year and I really have to fight for this, what am I fighting for? What will my audience miss? What's at stake? Why should I go into battle for this? So as a business owner, I had those things to consider as every business owner around the world. But it was it was a wonderful opportunity, though, to pause and to look, to stop, to think, to observe. And that was actually a real gift of COVID for me as a business owner and a brand owner. I remember at the very, very beginning, one of the very first conversations we had, you said 
this might be the opportunity I've been looking for to completely reboot my life that mm. I'm asking myself whether I even want to stay in this in this line <laughs> of work. Now, that, that was a question mm. that a lot of people were asking themselves. Mm. And a lot of people in fashion were saying, is this a moment where I gracefully leave the stage because I have this crisis, you know, is, is potentially overwhelming. And this might be events taking charge, I think every you know, business owner in the world had that moment. And for some, that's how it played out. And for others, they played out differently. And how long did that last for you, that existential kind of oh, confrontation? Oh, probably a couple of weeks. Like, you know, when, when your whole business gets put into a hard stop, all income streams stop, employees still on the books, costs still coming in, et cetera, you do go, oh, okay, well, how big is our rainy day fund? How long do we do this? For some companies it's a week, for others it's 10 years, and for others it's somewhere in between. And we were lucky that we never got anywhere close to that point of really having to have those serious conversations. All we had to do was just sort of reset and go, well, what are the, what are the bits that we like? What are the bits that really aren't kind of rowing our boat anymore? How do we reinvent? How do we step into the next stage? What do we learn from this? What are we observing? And, and I did spend that, the first couple of weeks of our lockdown connecting with lots of my friends internationally and just I don't know why I just had this overwhelming need just to speak to people and have some comfort and you included and you would send me those little videos of you singing as an emoji and those were incredibly sweet and kind and really helped just that sense of oh somebody out there's thinking of me when I'm like oh what's it all for (laughs) but you know, over that five weeks we had of lockdown when we weren't able to trade and, and everybody was, you know, in a very heightened sense of fear and, and uncertainty. Yeah, you know, I spent the first few weeks just dealing with spreadsheets and running numbers and speaking to my team and so on. And then there were a couple of weeks really of just forced contemplation. It was like nature just said, I don't care what projects you've got going on, just sit in a corner and think about it and come back when you've got a fresh vision. And that was actually really nice. Just doing that, just sitting back and going, well, what what is it that I like? What is the real vision? What is what is my reason for being? Why am I even here? And out of that, I think I really discovered the sense of community and still outward looking, but I kind of rediscovered my purpose was my customers and, and my community in terms of collaborating, in terms of introducing stories and products too. And that was really always what the foundation for our business had been. But it just kind of reclarified it for me. So that's such a valuable insight. I mean, that's the kind of insight that would be precious at any time. Yes. Um, you know, never, never mind that it was induced by a crisis like this. But yeah. I'm curious as to what you decided wasn't necessary after that moment of reflection. What did you decide? You said what rode your boat. I mean, did you realize you'd been caught up? And I mean, obviously, it was a moment for people to contemplate the size of their business and what they were doing in their business. That was just a sort of rote kind of thing. Actually, one of the things early in lockdown that really helped me was Imran posted a little thing about Arundhati Roy's um, essay in the Financial Times, which I read. And I I read that essay like 20 times. And I found that so, so helpful, just that idea of the pandemic as a portal and being able to choose what you leave behind and choose what you take through it. And so that was really how I was thinking about it throughout, uh, you know, that very difficult month. And what we left behind us as we stepped through the portal was everything that disconnects us from our community. And the middleman, the calendar dictating to you, the the automatic stuff like, oh, it's February, you've got to put in 
blah, and it's June, you've got to go on sale, you know, just all that nonsense that we've all known in the fashion business is kind of vile. The very concept of middle gatekeepers separating me from my customer, which has been a conversation going on in this business for a long time. So we kind of reinvented around only do the things that really connect us to our community, whether it's people we collaborate with on projects or customers who come into our store in whatever form that takes or customers who have stores that we sell to, only do that if it's connecting us. Don't do it just because that's what you do. You've been able to put that insight into practice then. You've had the opportunity. Yeah, well, that's right, because we had three weeks where we couldn't trade at all. The dot-com was shut. Bricks and mortar were shut. Um, nobody was allowed in any places of business. And, and then after three weeks, it softened a little bit and people were allowed to go in and do some things like essential services kind of stuff. Turns out sneakers are essential services <laughs> after three weeks. But really, after five weeks, we were able to get back to pretty much business as normal. And a couple of minor little sort of five-day here, 10-day there, very small lockdowns since then. But, yeah, we were able to get back very quickly after resetting our vision, re-declaring our purpose, and get on with it and make it happen. And how did that manifest itself, the revision? How, how, what would you, for example, walking into a store at that point, as opposed to walking into a Karen Walker store six months earlier, what difference would you have noticed? We're not about seasons. There's not like, oh, here's a new big drop. Oh, and here's sale signage. We'll never have sale signage You'll never see a sale in our stores ever again. There might be like a 24-hour, 48-hour thing on the website. That's it. There's no like racks of clothes coming in while another rack's got the red pen out. There's not summer, winter, spring, autumn. There's just things that you want to buy right now. There's making a lot, lot less, developing a lot less product, only developing really kind of essential uniform items, like the perfect trench coat, the perfect sweater, the perfect um, pair of, you know, home crochet, hand crocheted slippers, um, just like really kind of uniform pieces, but really perfecting them and refining them and making them in a really thoughtful way. You know, half of our product of our ready-to-wear now is made with fair trade factories. Um, all our cotton is is organic and most of it's got. So really thinking very carefully about that kind of thing is really central. Not sort of thinking of ourselves so much as designers anymore, really thinking of ourselves as retailers here to serve our community, to tell stories, to present beautiful product, to give great experiences in whatever form that takes. That's really our our guiding light. And design is part of that and always will be. You know, we still obviously design, develop, make lots of product ready to wear, fine jewellery, eyewear, etc. And we collaborate with lots of partners big and small to do interesting product as well. But, you know, in our retail, we also work with other brands where we get the very, very special things that are very limited edition that we're the only store in New Zealand who might have that product, for instance, Converse and Levi's and Adidas and other awesome brands like that. So we might really see my purpose as serving my community, giving them product that they wouldn't otherwise have and doing it in a really fun way and taking them sitting around my campfire in the woods and telling them stories. That's my purpose. And when you say that the whole notion of sort of novelty for novelty's sake has been sort of backseated there. I think that was a journey that our customers were taking, everybody's customers was taking them on anyway. We didn't invent that. That's a movement coming from the people out there in the town square, as much as from the designers, retailers, et cetera. saying it's not, people aren't valuing, give it to me because it's new. What they look for is give it to me because it's good. 
And good equals well-designed. It's going to last. I'm going to have this for six years, 10 years. I'm not hurting anybody by having this. I'm not buying a $2 T-shirt, you know, with God knows what cost behind that you pretend you don't see. I think that shift has come just as much from the industry as from the customer. So this dovetails very much with the things that were already happening in fashion, the drive for sustainability, the search for other ways to do business that were um, that were more thoughtful, more intelligent. Yeah, we were already on that journey. But you know, going slowly and carefully and all that stuff that you do when you're in business. But this just accelerated it. Three years happened in three weeks. That idea of moving forward became so much more exciting than the idea of going back to normal for us very quickly. The day that our prime minister announced that we were going into a four-week lockdown, you know, I was at home with our creative director slash my husband and our CFO, and we just signed off the coming year's financial budgets. (laughs) And they were like, oh, it's one o'clock. The prime minister's going to speak lockdown for four weeks. And I wept. I felt like I was falling from a great height, but I knew that there would be no normal. We would never go back to that. It wasn't just going to be like a slightly less fun version of the summer holidays. This was potentially existential for thousands and thousands of businesses, mine included. And so I made that decision very quickly that this was going to be about moving forward, not trying to hold on or go back. I remember you said that your stores was really, really busy, busier than usual, that people really having had that brush with With not being able to get with deprivation, (laughs) they realized what they had. They valued what they had more. Yes, but I I think that was one element. We have certainly since we reopened after five weeks, which is over a year ago now. (laughs) Yeah, our our stores, our whole company has been very busy and we had a fantastic last 12 months. But I think one of the reasons why, well, there were a lot of reasons, I think, why people are feeling good and, and shopping. They feel kind of euphoric because after five weeks there were no cases in the community. They feel safe because they've kept their jobs. They, they're they very conscious how lucky they are to be here and all of that. But I think that actually a really big part of it is people were very aware how much money the government had to throw at this. I don't know the figure off the top of my head. Lots and lots of zeros in it. And I was hearing from my customers a lot of people saying, I want to support New Zealand tax paying company. So they were not shopping with international brands, bricks and mortar or, or online. They were shopping with brands that not only pay taxes full stop, but pay taxes to the New Zealand purse. And that was very important to our community to do the right thing by the by the Treasury. You had customers yeah. saying that to yeah. you. Plenty of oh them. Oh my God. That is well, something else that's very unique about New Zealanders and that uh, strong sense of right. A strong yeah. sense of and and community. And, and I think that was just gratitude. That was gratitude to the government doing the right thing by us, steering us through it beautifully and wanting to pay that back. Now, was it actually quantifiable as in the big international tax avoiding super brands? Were their business actually? Oh, no. That their business was like. There might have been some people going crazy (laughs) on the, uh, you know, two for one boob tubes. I don't know. But but certainly I was hearing from my customers that if they were going to spend money, they wanted to spend it somewhere where they know that it's going to do the right thing. And what kind of things were people drawn to? I mean, admittedly, after a, a lockdown of six months or so, your attitude to a lot of things has changed. And I, I sort of have this thing in my head that people feel very differently about fashion now, that what they're drawn to is different now. 
when you're talking about reconceptualizing, you know, and making a seasonless proposition and thinking more about comfort and value and durability and so on, that wouldn't filter into the collections that quickly, though, would it? I mean, that, that consciousness would be shaping what you were doing a bit further down the road. We were already on that journey. And so actually one of the really weird things that happened was we did lots of little collabs and we'd already, before COVID hit, had two collaborations in coming down the track. One of them was with Sheepskin Company here in, in New Zealand in the Hawke's Bay called Classic New Zealand. And they hand crocheted these beautiful little sheepskin, so sheepskin base and then hand crocheting like a little, kind of like a baby booty, but kind of adult size out of New Zealand sheepskin and New Zealand wool. And so we'd had that in production and it was, you know, we'd been working on it for like nine months and the product delivered into our warehouse like two days before lockdown. And so when we opened up again, it was our autumn or close to opening. I mean, we were able to trade online again. We put them on the website and you know, they sold out in like 24 hours because it was like this perfect, the new work shoe, we called it, because you know, you're working at home, so you need some nice slippers and it was getting chilly. Um, so, yeah, that was already coming down the pipeline. It was just incredibly good fortune that it also fitted with the psyche perfectly of something warm, something cozy, something comforting, something that brought you back into your community that benefited in your community in multiple ways. And yeah, it was perfect for Zoom. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. It's advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. 
Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts, and not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. But surely you didn't really have the working from home phenomenon kicking off to the point where it did actually permanently change the way people approach their daily labours. Lots of people are still working from home uh, a couple of days a week. Yeah, offices have fully been fully functioning for 12 months. But lots of people are still, you know, companies shifted. They set their staff up with the ability to work from home. And so people are still using that. Like if it stops them from sitting in traffic for an hour, one day a week, that's a good thing for everybody. So lots of companies are downsizing their head office premises. Lots of people are continuing to work from home. You know, and my, my team, I have two people who only work from home and another five or six or seven who work part-time from home. Did you and lay anyone local, off? They're local. No. Nope. We came into it with 51. We came out of it with 51. And by within a month's time, I think we'll be at 60 people. And what about tourism? How big a part of your business was tourism? <laughs> what tourism? Yeah, it was, it was pretty big. But, you know, for every tourist we're not getting coming into New Zealand, there's a New Zealander who can't leave the country. <laughs> so it kind of balances out because we're not traveling. We've, they've only just opened the borders with Australia a few weeks ago. So New Zealanders, or you can leave the country, but good luck getting back in. Would they have been customers before, these people who are now shopping with you because they can't go anywhere? Yeah, I, I believe so. But they're just, they're not having that month in the south of France in July. They're here instead. I guess an interesting as sort of being devil's advocate, what happens when the country does reopen to the world? What do you imagine the scenario will be then? I think that people will be hesitant about traveling. I think we've all got pretty used to it, uh, being here. We're feeling pretty happy, maybe tiny bit smug and very much in love and very patriotic. And I think that when things do open up, I don't think it's going to be like people charging out to the airport trying to get on the first flight. And I think there's probably a fear too about, well, if I do go to New York or London or Paris, what's it even going to be like? You know, there's kind of like, well, they're saying like 50% of restaurants won't reopen. You know, it's a long way to go to find the, your favorite restaurant shut. So far, I don't have a sense of that, but I'm sure it's coming. But I'm not thinking so much about people charging out of the country. I'm thinking more about people charging in. Oh, people charging in. <laughs> well, most of the hotels in Auckland are quarantine hotels, so good luck finding a room. It's the Britomart Hotel in the Park Hyatt, and that's about it. You actually left the country for a few days yeah. to go to Australia. How, how did that feel? Because you were somebody who was very... Um, active in the mm. in the there, old world. there have been years where i've traveled almost a quarter of a million kilometers in a year it's not average but there have been years where i've got up there and so to have 
I think it was 546 days without leaving the country. Is first time I've done that since I was probably about preschooler. And that was very strange, but kind of fabulous as well, not having to even think about it. Just uh, it's, it's not even an option, so there's not that pressure. But yeah, I did leave the country, and I actually felt quite scared. Does that sound melodramatic? You know, a little, no, well, not cautious. at all. I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, when you yeah. have to sign a, you know, acknowledge as you leave in the country that the borders might shut and you might not get back in, that kind of makes it quite real. And so there was that sense that 72 hours I was outside of the borders of running the gauntlet somewhat. I got to Melbourne, I got back, and no problem. But today, I think they've shut the borders with Victoria. They yeah. have? I think there was something about that, something with Victoria. God, it's such a volatile situation. For, you know, a day situation. or two while they just kind of figure out what's going on. It is, it's very volatile. And I've talked to a, quite a lot of people who are so used to osmosing inspiration when they're traveling that when they are stuck at home, the whole creative process has become something quite different for them, maybe even more challenging because they're not just swimming in this constant sea of stimuli while everybody's been locked down. I mean, what what's it been like for you on that area that you're at home and you are drawing on your immediate environment maybe more than you usually do for We've never import. been the kind of brand that's, uh, you know, got like the flea markets of Florence on our mood board and it's like, oh, I discovered this, you know, <laughs> lace collar. In the... <laughs> We've never been that. <laughs> and, and even more so now, it's like our inspiration now is what do our customers need? How can we you know, make our take on the perfect trench coat? How do you make really great little hand crocheted woolen slippers? You know, it's, it's, it's thinking about what our customers need and doing our take on that, a lot of it. So, no, the travel hasn't impacted on that at all. I remember that one of the things that struck me when I first met you many years ago was you said that you would never do something until you could do it. You know, in, in terms of growing your business, you would never launch new product or a brand extension or whatever until you were absolutely positive that you had perfected it. And so there was a sort of very organic quality there in the, in the way your business mm. grew. You're talking about what people want now. Do you notice that they want something different now, that after this consciousness of the last year or so, but it, you say it was already coming, what are people looking for now when they go shopping then? They want to know what it is you stand for more than what it is you make a lot of the time. They want you to be honest about that and have something that is in line with what they stand for. And in terms of the product, I think they want product that is functional and is beautiful and will, yes, light them up, but also do its job really well. They want it to be good product, not necessarily new product. And that speaks to how it's made, how it's designed, how it functions, the cost of its making, the, you know, the unseen costs on people and planet. Those are, those are very much in people's minds. And that's what motivates me too. I'm not interested in just making more and more stuff. And do you think that's easier in a country like New Zealand where you're relatively close to your suppliers well we're not you know like half our ready-to-wear is made in india we've got a couple of fantastic fair trade manufacturing partners there and that's not close it feels like a very long way away right now i think why we can do that is because we're close to our community and also because you know we're an independent company we're a mum and pop business essentially my husband and i own the business 100 percent. always have done always will do so we have this freedom to make decisions based around what we enjoy, what we think will serve our community, what's in line with our with our standards and our beliefs. And 
Also, we don't have a gun at our back to be bigger, bigger, bigger. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that at all. I'm interested in making things that, that light up my community and serve my community. I'm not motivated by 10% more on the EBITDA every year. You know, you've, got to, you've got to make money and pay people well and stay in business and all of that, and obviously, but that's the byproduct if you do it well. The notion of working in the community, it's something that before all of this was happening, it was something that I felt had to be the future for fashion, that there had to be this sort of small is beautiful element yeah. coming in. And when we did our rewiring fashion, BOF did the rewiring fashion initiative during the um, course of last year, one thing that struck me was that how fashion is shaped by independent designers and independent retailers. And that is actually a lot of the time what people think of as being fashion yeah. is independent designers and retailers. Yeah. They're the core of the business. As much as there are these huge multinationals, you know, with their multi-billion dollar annual revenues, the story of fashion is told by independent creatives. And then times were obviously extremely tough for exactly those people. And I wonder if you have a sense of what the future holds. Uh, obviously, I think relevance is a huge issue uh, against all the, the social issues that fashion is having to confront. There's also the idea of how it stays relevant, how it stays part of the, you know, cultural landscape. I wonder if your thoughts about that have changed at all over the past year. Our customers don't owe us anything. <laughs> They're not obliged to shop with any of us. We're here to serve them. And that doesn't mean regurgitating the same old thing that the data shows you sold well last year. We had to serve them in terms of something that will excite them or please them or delight them or you know, whatever form that takes. But I think that that connection to your customer and to your community, well, for me, I don't see any other way. I've, I've never run my business like um, having it driven by marketing advisors in a boardroom setting strategy. You know, it's a ma and pa business that's got some really great people working within it. We've got, you know, like I said, about 60 people on the team who are all astonishing. And we've got a good track record and we've got lots and lots and lots of talent. And, you know, always bring the data, but most of it is around intuition and taste and, and the feel. And that's what fashion is at its heart, isn't it? Yes. And desire. <laughs> and desire. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, when we spoke at the very beginning of lockdown, one of us said, I'll, I'll give you the credit. <laughs> What does desire even look like at the end of this? And I can tell you, because we got to the end of it five weeks after that conversation, desire looks like, show me something beautiful, show it to me with love and with humor and with good grace and with respect. And that's relevant. Then that becomes relevant if you do all of that. When you talk about being embedded in the community, how else does that manifest itself other than the fact that you're serving your customer by giving them the kind of clothes you just defined there? Do you have experiences and activities? You sent me photos, for example, of the women in the Cook Islands working on those extraordinary fabrics. And you yeah, said well, you wanted to here, do a book actually. on them. They're in, yeah, they're in Auckland. Yeah, we did a project a few years ago. The Commonwealth Fashion Exchange invited me to do something with Buckingham Palace, partnering with artisans from a, another Commonwealth country. And we requested that we partner with Cook Islands to Vivai makers and to Vivai's a unique form of quilting, unique to the Cook Islands. There's a version that I think Tahiti have a version of it, but the Cook Islands one's quite unique and special. It came via Victorian missionaries in the Cook Islands, so bringing a Victorian use of cotton and applique and embroidery and crochet. And then the Pacific people added their colour and their kind of sensuality and their wildness and their humour to it. 
And that's pretty much what it's like still 100 and something years later. And so we did this project with these um, mamas, which is like a term of great respect to elder women within the community in Cook Islands. And we worked with some of these Cook Islands artisans, mamas here in Auckland, because there's a big Cook Islands community here, uh, with the lead artisan being a mama called Takua. She would be the most well-respected Tevaivai artist, if not in New Zealand, well, probably in the world. And Mama Takura is my good friend, my confidant, my collaborator. And we made this beautiful dress, me and my team and Takura and her team, which um, we had at Pony Palace. We went to a fantastic party there and it was wonderful, very special trip with her to London. And the dress is now owned by the Museum of New Zealand, to Papa. And Takura and I stay in close contact. And I, I went to an exhibition she had today of probably about 50 to Vivi. They're big pieces, like designed to go on beds, like big bedspreads, like king-size bedspreads, but made out of cotton with floral applique applied and stitched around with like very intricate stitching, kind of a version of blanket stitching, but much more intricate than that usually. And uh, so I popped in to um, to see these beautiful pieces for what I thought would be a 15-minute visit, and I was there for four hours, and there was dancing and singing and speeches and prayers and looking at this beautiful work that Takua and her team's had had made and it's just astonishing because it's this totally integrated historically culturally in the community a sign of great respect is that you don't don't buy or sell to vai vai they're a sign of of love they're a gift of love and respect and yeah, it might take three four years to make one to vai vai uh, in fact one of takua's is in the british museum I, when we were in london i took her to see the 13 to vai vai that they had there and she spent the whole couple of hours telling the curator that they were very poor quality to Vi Vi. And they commissioned her to make one for them. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's that sense of craft and community, but also, you know, it's art above everything, but executed in a kind of craft way and it, very much at the heart of the community and valued at every level. It's not just valued by the women or the art scene. It's, it's valued and, and revered by everybody within the community, and I, I do love that about it. Working with the community, you're, you're a conduit in a way that you can tell people about this work and illuminate. You know, I think what Jonathan yeah, Anderson does. It's like a stage, with... right? It's like a, a, I have, yeah. a, I have, a, I have yeah. a stage in yeah. which to tell stories. And the stories might be about, here's some new sunglasses, or it might be about, look at these Cook Islands mamas and this amazing divide yes. by, or anything that, that we feel like. And I think that's also the, the magic of being an independent brand. Do you think that sensibility has sharpened because of what's happened that you feel? I think, it, I think it has. I think that I'm really very, even more aware than ever that my job is, as a retailer and a storyteller is to integrate myself into the community, not have them integrate to me. I need my job is to come into the community and serve them. You are a woman on a mission. I think I am, Tim. I really think I am. And you could take that away from your experiences over the last year or so, that your sense of mission has been honed. It has. But, you know, it's, it's kind of the same sense of mission I had from day one. But, yes, it has been honed. It has been re-clarified. You know, when you're in any sort of business or creative field, you can just get quite bogged down on the just, like, deadlines and making it happen and, and there's another project and another project. And I think one of the really liberating things about going, oh, seasons, schmeasons, we'll just – we'll – develop it, we'll make it. When it's ready, we'll put it out into the market. I mean, we have sort of vague dates we want to hit, but if I've got a project happening, like, you know, my slipper project, it's like, oh, well, if that takes six months or 12 months or one month to develop, it doesn't really matter. The whole business isn't hinging off that. Let's get it right. Let's make it beautiful. 
and then we'll put it out into our community when the time is right for them to have it. And if it has to sit in the warehouse for four months waiting for it to get a bit chilly or waiting for a lockdown so we all have to work from home, that's fine as well. We can be flexible and nimble. Makes everything so, more precious. Yeah, yeah, that's, that is kind of at the heart of it, having a respect for the product and the story and the customer. The real gift for me with COVID was that it made me just go and sit quietly in the corner and think for a while. You know, business as usual stopped. There was no, like... What are the sales today? What's the, when are we going to have this meeting? <laughs> None of that could happen. So I just kind of had to sit back and be patient and be curious and learn and speak to people and listen and make some discoveries, which was actually really nice. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the BOF podcast for our look inside fashion and how it connects to currents in the wider world. If you're not yet a BOF professional member, join today with our 30-day risk-free trial and benefit from exclusive access to agenda-setting analysis you won't find anywhere else. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark, Kate Vartan, and Eric Bria in the BOF studio team. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.